Well, hello there, and welcome to episode 19 of the Classic Rock Podcast. For those about to pod, we salute you. In this episode, we look back at 1989, when Brian was a mere slip of a lad. Yay! (laughs) We take a look at the recent news and events in the world of rock. And we also dig around for hidden gems. Anyway... Without further ado, here he is, the Limavardi legend, <laughs> Mr. Brian Maley. Yeah, Limavardi legend. <laughs> hey, Matt, how are you? You good, mate? I'm very well. Very well. How are you? I'm all right, actually. Yeah, I am. Um, I don't know about you. Um, I'm now starting to get gig tickets through the post. Yeah, I got, I, yes, but these are these are gig tickets that I thought I'd lost because it's really? been it's been two years since it's been rescheduled, and you know where you go. Have I got the tickets? Did I get the tickets? Was I getting them mm. online? And they came in the post today. So tickets for gigs, and I've Good. got my first gig next next week. I'm going to see some live music in Edinburgh next week. Can't wait. You know, you haven't said who you're going to see, so it must be someone a bit like you know. <laughs> Odd. <laughs> Go on, tell us who it is. I'm going to see the Manic Street Preachers, who have just. Um, debuted with their um, number one album, which is uh, mm. it's a nice al- it's a nice album. It's quite poppy, power pop for uh, for the Manics. But I I love the Manics, great band live, mm. and they certainly rock it up. Yeah, so, so that, that's good. Well, that's nothing to be ashamed of. They'll be great. They'll be fabulous. They always are, and it's in the Usher Hall in Edinburgh, and it's which is a great one of the great venues. How are things Isn't for you? Con- well, no, fine. Isn't it confusing though when you're talking about tickets that? You know, you can get them as paper tickets, you know, sent through the post. And then other times you get them as a PDF thing in a, in a cube, is it QBR code thing? Yeah. And then you get them on your phone and it's like, oh my God, you got to keep track of, not only do you have to work out within you and between you and your gig buddy or buddies or whatever, who's bought them. Because everyone's like, no, did you get them? No, I didn't get them. You got them. Because we got now, we got the problem that, you know, this, these, some of these things were bought literally years ago. Yeah. And um, we're now having to kind of, you know, stock take. And I know what you mean. I mean, a lot of the gigs I'm going to are scheduled, now been rescheduled into next year. I haven't even got the, um, I, haven't got, I haven't got the country file calendar up yet. I can't even put them on the calendar yet. This calendar's not even out yet. I haven't even bought it yet. So it's, it's hard. Um, but so that's great. No, you'll enjoy the Manic Street Preachers. That'll be good. That will be good. No, um, a couple of things before we start. So um, we have got a few listeners, as you know, and we're very, you know, we're very glad about that. We like our listeners and we like hearing from them. But I think I've, I think I've heard from both our youngest and our oldest listeners, Brian. Oh. So the youngest listener is a young lady called Lola. She's only 10 years old and she listens with her dad and uh, my friend Will. And... Um, Will said, would you give Lola a little shout out? So I said, yeah, of course. And I thought, that's great. I thought it was great parenting, bringing your kids up to like rock. I don't know whether he's kind of brainwashed Lola to like rock. I imagine, knowing Will, he probably has. Much like we've all tried with our kids. Um, but Lola's 10 years old. She's going to her first gig. And I think it's next month or a month after. The Dead Daisies and the Choir Boys. So that's great. So she's going to see Uncle Glenn. She's going to see Glenn. Indeed. Going, yeah, it's a good, I think it's a good start. It's a good first gig, isn't it? Exactly. You know, like, yeah. The, the yeah. Dead Daisies. And, and then 
at the other end of the spectrum, um, I got a, a text from our oldest listener. At least I think he is. If anyone knows any different, then please let us know. But uh, my father-in-law, John, 78, uh-huh. listens, enjoys it. His favourite is person is you. Well, that's, well, that's, that's, thank you very much. In fact, I'll just read the text he sent me. He said, <laughs> uh, hi, Matt, really enjoy the, uh, really enjoy the podcast. Uh, especially like the parts when the other guy speaks and you don't. <laughs> because I really like his Irish accent. And by the way, please stop doing the impressions because you're not very good. And I thought that's great. <laughs> <laughs> no, that wasn't true. I made that <laughs> but it's good. No, thanks for listening, John. And thanks for listening, Lola. Um, we appreciate it. We appreciate everyone listening. I, I've only got of one course. thing to say. When we'll mm. listen, uh, and we'll get this show out quickly. We'll make sure that when you take Lola to the gig, you get, make sure she's got ear protection. Yes. Protect her yes. ears. And anybody that goes to gigs, look after your ears. I thought you were going to break into, uh, hello, hello, Lola. <laughs> But you didn't. Anyway, have a good time, Lola, and hello, John. Right, so um, what's been happening in the world of rock news, Brian? Well, some uh, world news in rock. I am literally just off the press today. I'm so, I suppose some good news and some... Uh, well, it's kind of good news and good news. So Black Star Writers have just announced that they've signed a new uh, multi-album deal with Eric Records. Um, they were previously signed to Nuclear Blast, which I always thought was a cool, na- cool name for a record label. Very, I thought it was very punky, Nuclear mm. Blast. Um, so they've signed with Eric. Um, so they, I think they've got an album coming out in 2023. I, lo- I love Black Star Writers. I think they, the material they put out is great. But Scott Gorham is stepping down from the band. So that they, that's, right. um, so that's going to be interesting. They're going to continue as a four-piece um, but Scott is stepping down um, because he's gonna co- he's gonna be concentrating on Thin Lizzy in twenty twenty two. Not sure what that means though. I mean, I, I I did read that and I thought, well, he's seventy years old, and maybe he's decided that you know he's going to call it a day because yeah. it's you know it's a, they've got a world tour plan and you know they're 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 a, you know proper you know functioning working band of course yeah. they're not. A, you know, they're they're a good act. When I read that about the Thin Lizzy thing, I thought, well, they might play one or two gigs a year, but they're not really an entity anymore, are they, Lizzy? Uh, rightly, and I think he was instrumental in sort of kind of laying that to rest, in a sense, laying the name of Lizzy to rest and replacing it with the Black Star Riders. So, yeah, as as always, I mean, you know, great great guy Scott Coram. I've met him, as you know, I made him <laughs> laugh when I met him. <laughs> I think, although I think he's such a nice guy. I think, you know, he, he was, he was just, he was just being kind to me uh, when I met him backstage at the uh, Shepherds of the Empire a few years ago. But um, yeah, good on you, Scott. You know, hopefully it will, hopefully it'll work out for everyone in concern. Black Star Riders are a strong band though. Good, good front man in Ricky Warwick. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, who's, who knows, but yeah, good stuff. And the other thing in the news, um, which, um, obviously we talked a couple of episodes ago about mm. the Metallica cover that Miley Cyrus had done mm-hmm. with um, with Elton John, the nothing else matters. So I I did a little bit of listening to the the album, you know, the Blacklist album, which came out, it's a 54 track album. So it's basically wow. the Black album covered by various 
um, you know, various artists. So Dave Gahan from, or Dave Gahan from uh, Depeche Mode is on it, Dermot Kennedy. Mm-hmm. But um, there's a young singer, um, I, I don't know him that well, called Sam Fender. Do you, have you have you heard of Sam Fender at all? I have heard of him, yeah. Yeah, he was one of the first guys in this country to do um, a socially distanced gig. When was that? Last summer? I think it was. Must have been last summer. I don't know. But yeah, I've heard of, certainly heard of Sam Fender. I, yeah. I've heard of good him. Good name, isn't it? Good name for a, for a rock guy. It's really, really good. He has done a live version of Sad But True. Mm. And, and what's really nice about some of the some of the cover versions that done they've they've put they've put really put their own spin on it so hey i'll stick it on the playlist it's an excuse to put it on the playlist map yeah. um sam fender's version of sad but true royal blood however do a much more to the record version of sad but true so there's about mm-hmm. there's there's about eight or ten versions of you know enter sandman by ghost weezer even do a version of it so okay. I, I checked through and and the good thing is if you're if, if you're a metallica fan or a completist if you buy the album now the album's 35 quid mm. but it's it's been all of the money's being split out and it's going to charity so the the money That's for good. the album but if you're you know if you're on spotify etc it's really worthwhile having a listen to what, how other people have interpreted the um the Metallica Black album. So it's mm. the blacklist. So those are mm. two two things in news. What about you? Well, one thing, Brian, is uh, Mark Tremonti uh, has got a new album out under the name Tremonti, which uh-huh. is his band. And for those who don't know, Mark Tremonti is the guitarist in Alterbridge, was the guitarist in um, Creed. And he's brought out his fifth, uh, fifth album in a little under 10 years, which I think is amazingly prolific. Um, yeah. I've, and I've I've got most of the albums actually. He's really good, a great singer, um, yeah. and a, obviously a killer guitarist. And um, got a new album out, which is which I'm looking forward to. And um, I'm I'm just going to mention a few uh, songs off the first album, which is my favourite of the Tremonti album because I hope that when you hear these, you'll put these on the uh, playlist. Um, you waste your time and wish you well of the first album and an excellent song called Dust, which is on the um, album called Dust, strangely enough. Mm-hmm. Um, but his new album is called Marching in Time. And um, yeah, I was reading about it today and it sounds great. I'm really looking forward to it. He wrote, he wrote it during lockdown, during, say lockdown, during the last two years or so. Um, so there are kind of uh, echoes of the, the the world we've been in the last 18 months. So I'm really looking forward to that. Um the other thing that has, the other album that has come out since we last spoke, we were getting quite excited about this because of the, the, the couple of tracks that come out, is the new Iron Maiden album. Oh, and um, <laughs> get your nose I mean, ready. <laughs> I've been listening to it quite a lot, actually, and uh, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on it, Brian. The new album is called Sinjutsu. Uh, which basically means strategy and tactics in mm. Japanese, apparently. And um, it, as we said before, it weighs in at over 18 minutes, got 10 songs on it. Um, so even I can work out that's an average of eight a bit <laughs> minutes per song. But um, yeah, I was listening to it today and I was thinking about it, but I'd be interested in hearing your view on it, Brian. So... I've a sucks in, sucks in tea. <laughs> be nice, Brian. Be nice. I, 
the first thing I've got to say off the bat is I'm a massive Bruce Dickinson fan. And when you think when they record, so they recorded this album, this, this album has been in the can for nearly two years. Um, yeah. Yeah. And Bruce has had throat cancer. He's wrecked his Achilles heel and he's, I think he's had hip surgery as well too. So, so hip, Bruce, hip replacement. Yeah. Yep. So, so Bruce is- affect his singing though. No, 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 no. But, but you know, he's, um, I have to say Bruce's voice on this album is just immense. And the production's great. When we were talking about productions and the last show, Kevin Shirley's done a great job on the, on the album. For me, I think with this album, you've got to be patient with it. I think you've got to give it a few listens because my favourite track on it, I know I'm starting to like it now because my favourite track's changing now and again. Mm-hmm. I um, Obviously, the writing on the wall was the was the single, which I thought was great. Yeah. And listening to the album, tracks like um, The Time Machine, Lost, Lost in a Lost World, and the final track, Hell on Earth, uh, they're, they're just, they're, they're just mm. epic. It's, it's like epic and grandiose um, and very progressive. Mm. For, for my tastes, um, I, and maybe this is where I'm the, uh, a bit more of an occasional Iron Maiden fan. I do miss the two minutes to midnight flight of Icarus, the three or four minute song. Mm. Uh, and there's, mm. there's a couple of the tracks like, you know, um, even a track like, you know, Time Machine, which is seven minutes. That's a short one on the album. Yeah. The, a lot of some of the um the time signature changes. I'm listening mm. to in my headphone, walking about and stuff, and then it goes, you get this lovely acoustic interlude, and then they come in with a strange time signature, and it's like, all right. Um, and I thought it was a little bit disjointed for my tastes around mm-hmm. some of the arrangements. So that that's my initial thoughts on 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 the album. Absolutely no there's no thinking about to the past. This is a nice, you know, the Book of Souls was a great album. This is a good mm. album. They're just, they're doing where they are now. They're not, it's not a yeah. regurgitation of Number of the Beast or Power Slave, et cetera. No. And I think they have, they have, I mean, they've got 40 odd years, more than that, 45 years. Maiden were formed in 1975. Um, it's been going a very long time. Yeah. And um, they have, they have, they have grown as a band. And I, I think they are now, certainly in the last few albums, they've grown into a band which doesn't really do short songs. As yeah. you say, you know, the, the Troopers and the uh, Flight of Icaruses and Run to the Hills. And, so, and As I was listening to this, I'm thinking, wow, they've come a long way since Prowler and Sanctuary and, you know, stuff off the first album. But there's there's uh, stuff off the pre-first album to an extent. Yeah, I mean, they've always had that kind of proggy sort of, sort of feel to them. Steve Harris has made no um, no secret of the fact he's a big Jethro Tull, Genesis, yes, you know, fan of prog rock. And that's really come through in the last couple of albums. Um, it does become a little bit formulaic, though. That's the only thing I would say. Um, I mean, the songs are good and they are really, really well-crafted and, and very interesting to listen to them. Darkest Hour has got a kind of Churchillian undertone. Time Machine's really good. I love that. Um, that yeah. It's a that's, that's a Harrison, Janet Gares um, collaboration. Hey, you know, interesting subject matters. Um, my favourite song on the album is uh, Hell on Earth. I would have to say right at the end, weighing in at a 
a something 11 minutes, 20 <laughs> seconds. Um, as I was listening to it, I think that there might be a tendency for them to write long songs for the sake of writing long songs, in a sense. Um, and I've thought this over the last few albums. And, you know, but the thing is, Maiden can do what they like, really. They've got that kind of artistic licence to really go where they want to do. If you want to do 12 minute songs, I think I think Empire of the Clouds was on the last album was like 18 minutes, yeah. which is colossal for a song. Um, I've heard interestingly that uh, Nick Brain's quite keen on doing this album in its entirety live, which will be <laughs> phenomenal to try and do that. As you say, with all the time signatures and all the different bits and pieces and yeah. and so on. There's a couple of bits which are going to be difficult because in, in the final song um, that we mentioned, Hell on Earth, Bruce Dickinson essentially kind of harmonises with himself, which works really well. The keyboards sound great. Uh, and I've re- always liked Maiden with keyboards, right back to the Seventh Sun album. So I think it's good. I think it's a good album. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, as you say, if you're going to listen to it, it's got you've got to kind of invest in it. You've got to really kind of let it sort of get under your skin in a way um, because it is quite a complex album. It, as we said, it's not short and snappy by any means, but yeah. So Senjutsu by Iron Maiden. Um, yeah, good album. Good album. Looking forward to seeing it or some of it live. Before we come on to your year in rock, a mm-hmm. um, couple of other things I wanted to mention. We'll come on to uh, a gig I went to a couple of weeks ago, uh, which is Massive Wagons up in London. Um uh, I also went to see something um, at the cinema, which is quite oh. rare for me. I'm not a big cinema goer. When I go, I enjoy it. But I obviously, like a lot of people, I haven't been to the cinema well, for about two years. And I went to see uh, Cinema Strangiato, which is um, a film about Rush's 40th anniversary tour. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's lots of live bits and pieces. I'm actually, I actually, I'm, at, I'm actually tonight wearing my Rush t-shirt. Coincidentally, there you go, and um, and it was good. It was quite moving in places because uh, there's obviously a lot of focus on Neil Peart, um, and there's a nice little tribute to him at the beginning. But um, yeah, certainly look out for it if it's out on DVD or it's re-released at the cinema. Cinema Strangiato. There's there's some really good tributes by uh, the likes of Billy Corgan from Smashing Pumpkins, Tom Morello, and his wife, who are massive Rush fans, which I thought was great. Uh, yeah. My wife hates Rush, um, <laughs> but I, I, yeah, not, the, they're not everyone's cup of tea, of course. Yeah. Um, but um, <laughs> so there was some uh, some nice bits, some nice tributes, and um, it was uh, it was a really fun film to watch. Um, and you don't have to be a Rush fan to to enjoy it. No, I think, I, and and just just you're you're absolutely right with it with it being. It's actually this with the success of the um, cinema. They're actually, um, I think it's either, you'll probably get the details on Rush's website or their Facebook page, but they're actually going to stream the film from, I think it's the 1st of October to to the 10th of October. So anybody who uh, wasn't in a place where they could have gone and seen it in the cinema because of the demand for it. Um, they're actually going to stream it. I think it's about $15, et cetera. You can Mm. stream it and you can watch the movie. Um, yeah, it's yeah, good. Recommend good. it. Recommend it. Okay, so um, we're done with the news, Brian. All good. Oh, we we yes, we are indeed. Okay. So last time, I sent you the challenge of talking about 1989, and I seem to recall there was a little bit of kind of 
controversy about exactly how old you were in 1989. <laughs> <laughs> you thought you were 18. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know where. <laughs> well, you actually, you were 20. I was. Just to, just to set the record straight. For anyone who's been keeping track of Brian's age, we, don't, we don't really give away anymore, do we? For fear of identity theft. Of no. Course. Um, anyway, so 1989, Brian. Do you remember it? You must remember it. I, I do. And I was genuinely at university. <laughs> oh, you were? Oh, I, that's good. I was. I was. When I was, and, and it looks as if I had a residency at Newcastle City Hall. Um, okay. uh, and I, I got to see, um, 1989 was a, was a, it was a, was a really good year for gigs for me. Um, I got to see, um, uh, gigs wise, I got to see, um, Black Sabbath, um, oh. on the Headless Cross Tour, which was the album with Tony Martin and Cozy Powell and Neil Murray, um, often gets overlooked. Uh, I think the Tony, Tony, was he called Tony the Cat Martin? Yes, uh, dude. I don't know why. Yeah, and me either. Um, but uh, Tony the Cat Martin. Uh, he, Maybe he, he had a tendency to, I don't know, hop up on a table and uh, I don't know, go to sleep in strange places. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe Tony, tell us why you're called the cat. Uh, yeah, so I went to see Sabbath. Um, I got to see. Um, um, let's just test you here. Um, I mm. went to see um, a, a young man called Gareth Rocket and the Moonshiners at the Mayfair. Do you Gareth know Rocket and the Moonshiners. Um, never heard of him, right? Or, or them. This is the um, only time. You know the way you use in London, you know, you know when um, Kiss would play, the, mm. everybody would do like a little secret gig in London yeah. before Donington. I, I, yeah. I've never been to see a secret gig or whatever. So, no, me neither. So me neither. Gareth Rocket and the Moonshiners was Ian Gillen. So Ian Gillen oh, okay. was, yeah, Ian Gillen was in a little bit of a holiday from, um, from Deep Purple. And he basically came to the Mayfair in Newcastle and just pulled out the old Gillen uh, back catalogue and just screamed his way through a set list. And mm. to see him in the Mayfair, just, he was just unbelievable. All, I remember seeing loads of the guys standing with me and I was, I, I was obviously standing with my uh, very, very nice um, deep purple t-shirts. And there was a mm. guy standing to the left. I remember them, and he had his Gillen 1977 magic tour t-shirt. And it was that, classically washed grey, uh, not mm. fitting very well, but he was wearing his Gillen Magic tour t-shirt. So I got to see Gillen. Um, mm -hmm. uh, obviously back home, uh, still went back home now and again. Europe, got to see Europe for the first time uh, in Belfast, uh, which started my love affair with uh, with the boys from Sweden and Dare mm. um, with Darren Wharton, who was in Thin Lizzy. So he got a nice... So yeah, it was loads of there was it was a really really good year for 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 going to gigs. Um, I'm a massive fan of Big Country. Big Country played one of the gigs of the year in 1989 for me in the City Hall. Um, really really good life. Um, um, they were fantastic. Musically wise, albums wise, uh, quite an eclectic year. Um, mm. uh, and I was trying to think about what albums. Uh, there's so many albums that came out that year. Let's deal with the obvious ones. Yes, Gretchen comes, Gretchen goes to Nebraska from King's X came out in 1989. There, we've done it. Oh, yeah. We've dealt with this. Uh, who's that by? Sorry. King's X. Uh, okay. All right. No, I've, I've heard of them. Yeah, the second album. Pretty good? Yeah. Pretty good? Let's, and actually, the reason why I mentioned it was my first CD. 
Oh, was it? Yeah. Okay. I got, it was my first CD. Um, I, my friend, uh, Matt White bought me for my birthday. Um, yeah. Gretchen goes to Nebraska. Um, he bought me that and I, and I got another rock compilation CD with like Mr. Mr. and Toto and all that kind of stuff. So Gretchen, it's got Over My Head and Summerland and all the, all the stuff that's usually played on Planet Rock is on that album. Yeah. Uh, it's, well, you can put those on. I love those songs. Yeah, I'll put those um, on. Um, Summerland so, is probably my favourite King's X song, thanks to you. Yeah, well, it's, 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 a, it's a really good track. So that was, that was King's X. But one of the albums and one of the bands at a... a I'm sure you've seen this band. This band is incendiary. This band scares me. And when mm. they came out with their second album in 1989, um, they were the real thing. And they were Faith No More. Right. Um, Faith No More's second album with, with um, you know, with Epic and from, you know, it's just, it just, I always, I just remember that album coming out and just, it was just, a game changer for me because I didn't know Faith No More at all. And they came out and that was getting a lot of play at clubs, you know, the hard rock clubs you were going to. So the, the first of the albums in 89, which had a great impact on me was Faith No More's The Real Thing. And if you haven't seen, if anybody hasn't seen Faith No More, go and see them. They are amazing life. Have you seen them? I, I have not actually. No, I do remember that era though. Um, and um, you're right. I mean, those songs off the album from out of nowhere, oh, it's got a killer riff, isn't it? Yeah. And um, epic, of course. Yeah. Which is a great song. Um, I do a cover of War Pigs on the album, don't they? But they also do a song called Woodpecker from Mars. <laughs> <laughs> so then, it's the first time I've, ever, I've come across that song. Um, I'm sure it's a great song. Yeah. Um, but, yes, I do remember that. Faith and more great stuff. Yeah, it was a, it was a really good album. Um, then I go into more safer territory for me, Mister Mister A O R M O R that I am. Um, mm. One of my um, bands bands just to shout out. Obviously, um, uh, FM FM released their second album. So it was three years from Indiscreet. They brought out their album Tough It Out, um, which is. Which is it's a great album. A um, lot of cool writes. Um, Desmond Child was brought in, um, who wrote uh, wrote on the album. Um, bad Bad Luck was the big single. Um, they had. Um, it's a really strong album, and I thought when I when I bought the album and it came out, it was kind of on the back of you know we're nineteen eighty nine. Bon Jovi were big, you know Bon Jovi, The Snakes, Def Leppard, everybody's turn, and mm. I just thought FM with Steve Overland's voice was just gonna be that next UK band. Cause he's just, he has, he has that Paul Rogers quality as to his voice. Mm. Um, but they just, nobody bought the albums. And, you know, I think FM are just one going to be one of those, we're just one of those bands in the um, late eighties who just never took off. But again, uh, we've seen them a few times at festivals mm. and, they put on a great show, but Tough It Out, their second album's my my favourite album. I'll put a few tracks on it. So um mm-hmm. that that that's a great one. Um Bad if we go across to America, Bad English, which was the remnants of Journey. Um, couldn't seem to get Steve Perry back in the band. <laughs> so they got um they got John Waite. Um yeah. their debut album, um, Bad English, Bad English, is fantastic. Um When I See You Smile was the big single. Um, 
uh, Best of What You Got was on the film Tango and Cash. I remember that at the end of it, uh, end of the film, going, oh, great, bad English. So a great album, good rock album. Um, John Waite sings, I suppose John Waite will always get, um, uh, you know, missing you in the in the ballads that he's done, but he can rock out with the best of them. Um, another other mentioned as well too, um, in 89, um, uh, Blue Murder. Mm-hmm. Blue Murder, obviously on the back of... Um, um, John Sykes uh, leave, um, leaving Whitesnake or Whitesnake leaving him. Um, he put yeah. Blue Murder together with Carmen Apice and Tony Franklin. Three piece, Geffen Records, Bob Rock produced it. Sounded immense, sounded brilliant. And it just sold maybe half a million copies. And Sykes yeah. as a singer was awesome. And yeah, they had an amazing video for Valley of the Kings. And they never put it out as a single. Uh, they just it just seemed to be one of those where you you wonder if the record company was kind of going, we'll not really push Blue Murder for it to be a massive success because we'd like David and and John to get back together so they could write write the successor to um, nineteen eighty seven, which David didn't do. He brought out Slip of the Tongue with Steve Vai. So there, there's a whistle stop tour around you. Some of the albums of of '89, we could talk about Mr. Big, Marillion brought out Seasons End as well too. So for me, '89 was a, a really interesting year. Again, another uh, bumper year of album buying. What about you, mate? Um, I think the the thing that stands out for me that year was um, the first Little Angels album came out. Now I discovered Little Little Angels on a late night TV show. Um, and I was living in Stevenage in Hertfordshire. I remember it well, actually. Um, and uh, it was a late night TV show. I think it was called The Power Hour or The Tower of Power or something like that. Um, was it called Raw Power? No, I don't think no, so. No. It could have been. But it was one of those, you get back from the pub and then, you know, you kind of, and in those days we didn't have many channels in Britain. Yeah. I think it was, there was four, I think, when they were in, in, in the late 80s. So you would flick around for something to watch. Anyway, they had the video of um, the lead-off song from the album, Do You Want a Riot? Um, the album's called Don't Pray For Me, and it's as a debut album. It's up there. Um, Kick Hard, Big Bad World, Kicking Up Dust is a, probably one of the most well-known Little Angels songs, Don't Pray For Me. Um, I mean, these kids are in their teens. Yeah. I remember asking, I met Toby Jepson once and I said, oh, I love Don't Pray For Me. And he said, yeah, I wrote that when I was like 15 or something. Um, and Radical Your Lover. I mean, it's just almost the greatest hit set right yeah. there. Um, what else happened in 1989? Um, I think I went to see Aerosmith uh, on the Pump tour. Um, Pump was the, it wasn't a comeback album as such, but a really good successful album for them. Um, it had... Uh, Love it an elevator, of course, which a lot of people know that song. Janie's got a gun. Um, Young Lust is on there. Um, plenty of good songs. A really strong album in, in that kind of comeback era yeah. for Aerosmith. Um, talking of, you mentioned the first CD you bought. The last vinyl album I bought until, let's say, the last couple of years was Journeyman by um, Eric Clapton. It was quite a uh, quite a bluesy album, mm. quite a commercially successful album for him, and had the sort of massive hit of Bad Love, which, again, you probably heard on most of those kind of dad rock classic albums, written by written by Clapton and Mick Jones from um, from Foreigner. Uh, exactly. Um, 
And they must have earned a few quid out of that because, you know, whenever you think of Eric Clapton in that era, you generally think of bad love. Um, Events-wise, and I was looking back at 1989 and things that happened that year, and I remember watching this on TV, and it was the... um, it was it was the Moscow Peace Festival. <laughs> Do you remember that? That uh, Doc, Doc Doc did Doc McGee um, uh, Doc McGee exactly. Yes. <laughs> it was it was it was manager of various bands we were on the bill, strangely enough, and um, he put on this this festival in Russia of all places. Shipped all these nothing more Russia by the way, but shipped all these American bands and acts. From that time, Motley Crue, Skid Row, Cinderella on the bill, Bon Jovi themselves, Scorpions, obviously yeah, from Dad yeah. Road in, in Germany, and a band called Gorky Park were on the bill. I remember them. Um, and um, it was kind of, it depends on which version you read, but sort of a penance, Doc, Doc McGee. <laughs> That's exactly what it was. Think, <laughs> was it to avoid some sort of lawsuit regarding, I can't remember yeah. exactly, yeah. but it was the theme therefore was sort of, there's a kind of anti-drugs theme. But of course you look on the bill and you had Aussie, I didn't mention Aussie, but you had Aussie on there. You had Motley, Motley Crue. I mean, these guys themselves <laughs> were, you know, they were responsible for a lot of yeah. drug taking as bands and individuals back in the day. So it's kind of ironic, really, that they should be part of this um, this, this big old festival. But the footage is good. If you ever check out some of the footage, Cinderella did a, did a good set. They were um, really good. Uh, they all did kind of a decent length set. Um, bon Jovi with a headliner, which I think disgruntled a couple of acts that they were stuck on the side of the bill, but Bon Jovi were, they were huge in those days. Um, so, yeah, that was 1989 for so, me. Yeah, there's one thing, just we talk about mm. events in 89, there was one thing which I, I chuckle at um, because this 89 was the first year that they brought in at the um, Grammy Awards the, oh, right, the, yeah. the, the heavy metal hard rock performance category. Mm. <laughs> and of course, of course, all the money, all the money was on Metallica That's right. to win it. And, and obviously famously or infamously, um, Jethro Tull won it. <laughs> That's right. I remember. Yeah, they were gobsmacked, weren't yeah, they? Yeah, absolutely. And I don't, I'm not sure. It's one of, it's, you know, if you ever had, you know, heavy metal, hard rock, and obviously the Black Album doesn't come out for two years later, but the band was Turin and Justice For All. And they were, mm. you know, at that time where they were, they they were probably doing, or at least thinking about their co-headlining tour with Guns N' Roses and stuff. They were the two, mm. two big bands. But when you see some of the footage of, uh, and the Grammy Award goes to... <laughs> I know, I know. And I think even to this day, Ian Anderson from Jethro Tull, he's he's almost, he's quite embarrassed by it in, so. in a way. He really still can't believe it, you know, 30, 30 odd years later, um, that they were considered not only in that category, but they ended up winning it. Yeah. I think the album was Catfish Rising, possibly. I can't remember exactly which yeah. album it was that they won it for. Um, yeah. But yes, I, I remember that. Um, so it's an interesting year. Um 1989, um, but a good year, you know, plenty of things going on. Um, our, one of our, and I was thinking, well, at some point we should talk about secret weapons in bands because over the months, we're doing this nearly a year now, Brian, by the yes. way. Uh-huh. Um, over the months where you've been talking about secret weapons in bands, whether it be Michael Anthony or... Um, Adrian Smith. 
or Viv Campbell, but Adrian Smith um, left Iron Maiden in 89. And, um, he did, and formed AASAP. That's right. And um, I'm still wading my way, no pun intended, by his book about <laughs> um, fishing and being an Iron Maiden, but mainly about fishing. But I still recommend it. It was a hidden gem a little while ago, wasn't it? It was indeed. So, so, so long ago, I was still, I was reading it then, I'm still reading it now. But anyway, um, so that was 1989, Brian. Thank you. And I, good I, job. Thank you. Good. Nice, nice choice of a year for me. You've made you've made yourself up from that choosing of 2003 from a couple of episodes <laughs> ago. Oh, was it 2000? You still haven't forgiven me for that, have you? Really? 2003 was okay. It was, it was, well, I, I, I'll take it and I'll take 1989 uh, any day. So I'm I'm going to give you a year which I'm quite okay. su- I'm going I'm quite surprised we haven't done this year because right. many people put this year down as this is not just my year in rock or your year in rock is the year of rock. And we haven't done this year yet. I'm but no, we've done, we've done we've done the year 2000. We've done it already. No, 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 no. We, I'm going to give you, because I think it's going to be really difficult for you, Mm. for Mm. us not to just do a show on the year of this, is I'm going to give you 1980. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was a great year. That was, uh, yeah, great. Yeah, thank you. I'll take that, of course. Yeah, brilliant. Good stuff. Looking forward to that already. So, Brian, when we, um, when we started doing this, uh, podcast almost a year ago. I remember saying how much we were looking forward to gigs. Um, we didn't quite know at that time. We didn't obviously didn't, didn't know at that time that it would be almost a year before things opened up again and we'd be going out to gigs and festivals and so on. And um, I know we went to a couple of festivals. Or we, between us, we've been to a couple of festivals, but yeah. I went to my first um, kind of indoor nighttime gig a couple of weeks ago, I think I mentioned it earlier, Massive Wagons yeah. up in London. A good band, actually. Good, really good band, Massive Wagons. Um, and uh, while we're checking out, as I think I said quite a long time ago, um, they formed in 2012, I think it was, uh, and really only kind of come to the fore in the last couple of years in that sort of new wave of classic rock sort of movement. Um, but, um, yeah, I went to see them. And um, I had to remind myself the whole kind of sort of gig kind of protocol, I suppose you could say. Yeah. And um, it was a funny one because it started, it took a lot of us by surprise in a way because they came on at 8 o'clock, 8 p.m. Now, as you and I both know, we've been to plenty of gigs over the years. The traditional start time for the main act is 8.30, 8.45. Absolutely. Finish, hour and a half, finish by quarter past 10, half past 10. Yeah. Good night see you all next time kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and that includes encores and all the rest of it. Intro tapes, which we'll come on to in a minute. <laughs> These guys, however, started at eight o'clock, which I thought was quite interesting. And it made me think whether gigs should start early because it was quite good. I literally came out, um, it was about half past nine, believe it or not. And you know those times when you you know you leave somewhere you leave a gig and you need to get I need to get the tube and then a train and then um, I need to drive. No, my friend was driving. Matt, I went with. Hi, Matt. Um, was driving, but everything was sort of worked out. We got on the tube and then we got the train on time. And I got up to my house and about an hour later, 
And my wife said, what are you doing home? Was the gig cancelled? I said, no, no, no. I was literally, I was literally back for match of the day, Brian, uh, which is a, uh, a classic British football show, by the way, for those who don't know. Um, soccer, think, soccer show. Soccer, <laughs> soccer show. Um, Tottenham, Arsenal. <laughs> sorry. Manchester, sorry. Manchester, DC. Manchester Hotspurs. Um, I would have been Lars Ulrich there, didn't I? <laughs> hey everybody, it's me, Lars Ulrich. Welcome. Um, anyway, where was I? So it made me think, <laughs> apologies to our American and Danish and American slash Danish listeners, by the way. Um, so it made me think whether, whether, in fact, gigs should start early. Because you think about it, you go from work or you, or a Saturday, you go up wherever you go. And it, you know, there's a lot of hanging about and then you go to the gig and then you come out and, you know, we've been to gigs where they've kind of gone on late. But um, what do you think about that? Gigs, gigs starting early, finishing early. I am a big fan of that. Usually for me, I'm traveling, you know, if I'm traveling to a gig yeah. and I'm, I'm, I'm driving, you're at the gig and it's, you say, usually half past, half past 10, you're going, okay, that's fine. Yeah. Whatever. It's, it's when you get to quarter to 12 and you're standing in Leeds, um, listening to Pearl Jam pull out one of the greatest gigs of all time. And you're looking at your watch going, oh, it's a three hour drive back to Scotland. Mm. And I do think for a lot of people, how many people are, are at the end of a gig or are they watching the encore and they're going, oh, I've just missed, I've just missed the last train back to, yeah. you know, back to Brighton or Bournemouth. You know what I mean? And, and it does take a little bit of the enjoyment out of it. If you're thinking, ah, do you know what? I'll skip the encores or so I earlier means I think it just, it, you tie in with, logistics better yeah you're not running about i know that sounds like a boring answer but um i th- i think it just works out for everybody and you, and, and yeah. also if after a gig and it finishes at half nine ten o'clock you can go for a bite date you can go and Absolutely. have a look at the merch stand it, it just exactly. it's it's just more yeah. relaxing Exactly, exactly. So I think there's somebody who said for that. I don't know whether it's going to be a regular thing. I don't know. Um, I remember going to see Two Extremes. I went to see Guns N' Roses uh, uh, back in about 2005. They played Hammersmith Odeon, and it was absolutely rammed. It was the Chinese democracy kind of era. All right, okay. Yeah. Essentially just Slash. Uh, sorry, essentially just <laughs> Axel. Um, and um, it came on at half past 11, at night, and there were people going home before they came on. You could see people kind of looking at watching that tutting and you're kidding me. Half past eleven, style. yeah. And um, we we came out there about half past one in the morning. And the, and in this country, um, not so much now, but certainly fifteen wherever it was years ago, public transport in, in London had closed down. Yeah. So um, you know, it was uh, it was very you know as we know, Guns N' Roses kind of. Uh, smartened up their act a bit these days and they too tend to run to time. I was talking to a friend of mine lately, uh, recently, and she said that they, her and her husband went to see Guns N' Roses a few years ago and they expected them to be late on and they came on on time and it threw everyone out. I was running in from wherever they were, you know, downing their pints and finishing their burgers and everything, running into the stadium to see them because they, for once, they started on time. Um, this similarly, I, m- I remember going to see uh, Autobridge years ago, and they s- they started again at uh, about eight o'clock, and they were finished by 
I don't know, quarter to 10. And I came outside, it was still light. Yeah. It was ridiculous. But I, so anyway, I, I just struck me as being an interesting thing. And maybe it'll catch on. Maybe it won't. Maybe it's a post-COVID thing. I did notice when I was there, there was a little sense of social distancing. And maybe that's to do with the fact that the, the venue wasn't quite full. Yeah. But there was a little bit of that sort of, you, you get the sense of, Maybe people are kind of slightly aware of, you know, there's still the fact that the, the virus is out there. One thing I did notice, uh, I wasn't too impressed with, the price of beers has gone up uh, at venues. Now, venues uh, traditionally, and I imagine it's the same all over the world, you know, they kind of got a captive audience. And um, the old in London, last time I went, which is well, it was a couple of years ago, you're talking about £5.50, yeah, yeah. Like $7, $7 a pint. Uh, also, whatever it is, um, two can in, in in Islington Academy, two cans of Carlsberg, twelve pound twenty. It's ridiculous, and they gave it to you in a can, which I think was a bit odd. Um, so you know, something has changed. Something stayed the same, as uh, as they say. But um, I do remember. I did think that they had a really good uh, intro music, uh, Massive Wagons. They so. Uh, a lot of bands, a lot of acts um, enjoy kind of an intro song, which is a traditional thing, um, to kind of liven up the audience, almost to signal, we're coming, we're getting ready, we've got three minutes, yeah, and um, and so on. Uh, Metallica have uh, Ennio Morricone's Ecstasy of Gold, uh, Maiden, uh, Come On to Dr. Doctor, and by UFO, Um and these guys came on to, uh, for those about to rock, We Salute You by um, ACDC, which I thought was great. Through the PA, mm-hmm. it sounded huge. And it did sort of, basically, that was it. It signified that um, they were they were coming on. Um, do you remember when we went to see Thunderbrain? They came on to Thunderstruck, which I thought was genius. I, I, it was, it was. Thunderstruck itself by ACDC is just... Mm. You know, you think of the live album from 1991 at Donington. When they when they when they start the show with Thunderstruck, it's just like, you know, yeah. crowds getting into it. I, I recommend whether we've mentioned it on, on on some kind of monster, which is the Metallica, the Metallica movie. <clears throat> um, you know, with Robert Trujillo coming into the band, I I genuinely get um, hairs on my arms when when obviously at the, the last part of the show, when they're actually just about to go on stage, the four of them, you know, mm. and p- play some, you know, massive stadium, the ecstasy of gold music is playing and and they're mm. up, and they're just getting, they're getting themselves psyched up as it's building. You can see the audience getting psyched up. It just perfect piece of music to, to use just, oh, just, yeah. just to get everybody warmed up as such. And then Metallic will, will batter into, you know, Seek and Destroy or whatever they're going to play. Battery. Absolutely. <laughs> Classical music, of course, has been quite important um, as a, uh, as an intro tape. As a, as a, there's always that kind of interesting link between hard rock, heavy metal and classical music. Yeah. And we could, we could spend a whole show talking about the kind of the, Either the links, as it were, the synergies between the two. But I remember the I saw Michael Schenker back in eighty one, and it was the same era that they recorded the uh, One Night at Budokan album. And in those days, they came on to Ride of the Valkyries by Wagner, yeah, yeah. which is that do 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 do, and it and it was and it was 
perfect. It's huge. It was a slightly kind of rocked up version of it. And then um, similarly, I think you mentioned um, Ozzy Osbourne comes on to... Um, Carol Orff. Carmina Barina, I think it's called, isn't it? The piece of music. Um I might, I might have that pronunciation wrong, but there's that interesting kind of you know link between classical music uh, as a as a powerful piece. Um, however, and, however, for the for mm. the for for those of us who bought um, the tribute album, um, which tribute album, which was the only live recording of Randy Rhodes um, with the Aussie band, which starts off with. Um, um, with uh, Karloff's classical piece. For those mm. of us who may be a little bit older, uh, you know, our older listeners would, would probably know that as the TV ad for Old Spice. That's right. <laughs> well, I would I would remember it for that. Yeah, Carmina, Carmina Barana, I think it's called. I think I might have had that pronunciation wrong yeah. earlier. Um, yeah, brilliant piece of music. As you say, to a, to a generation in Britain will always be known as the, the Old Spice music. Um, I think it was from The Omen as well, wasn't it? The film The Omen, possibly. Uh, maybe I got that wrong. Um, oh yeah, it's 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 gotta be. It's gotta be. Um, I'm surprised no one's ever come onto it. They probably have. What I think of it, sort of classical pieces, is um, by Bach to Carter in D minor. A lot of people will know it as the theme from Rollerball, the yeah. 1975 science fiction piece. Um, uh, anyway, probably someone has, but anyway, I digress. But yeah, intro music. I was really impressed by by the by for those about rock. We salute you as their um, yeah. as their intro music. It's the leaving. Sometimes the leaving music's as equally as got to be as important as well too as they. It's true. Yeah. It's true. It's funny you should say that. But Thunder famously come on to uh, the stripper. I don't know what it's called, the piece of music, but the classic do 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 right, that's, okay. that's uh, which I think is just classic thunder because they you know it's kind of tongue in cheek, uh-huh. isn't it? Really, but yeah, I, I would certainly prefer a band that comes onto a, an intro tape rather than just kind of stroll on. But I suppose that works as well. I remember seeing you two back in 1987, and they just they just literally strolled on playing uh-huh. "Stand by Me" um, in the old. The old standard, basically, and uh, so oh, look, they're on. Look, there's yeah, no, yeah. there's no. It was out in the daylight. There's no house lights going down or anything. Yeah. There's no intro music. You know, whatever. But I like, like you. I'm a fan of the intro music, whether it be Ride of the Valkyries or um, Carmina Burana or whatever. You're getting that one now. That that that's Carmen Burana. <laughs> Stick them on the playlist. You know, oh, there you go. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I've, I've, I've dropped a lot. But yeah, songs by, um, great songs by Massive Wagons. We talked about um, In This Together, which was not actually, which was actually written pre, pre-lockdown. Ratio is a great song. And also a song called The Curry Song. And this gives you a sense of what they're like. <laughs> they don't take themselves too, too seriously, but they've got a song called The Curry Song. Um, Back to the Stack is a tribute to Rick Parfitt from Stays Quo. So yeah, good song. Good band, good songs. And I would recommend them. They're still on tour. I think in Britain. So check them out if you can. Uh, Massive wagons. Yeah, and and it's uh, yeah, great band. And there's there's um and we probably there's quite a lot of good live music. Um, I know I know I there's a few bands that were up in Edinburgh last week. Um, Blackwater Conspiracy, which is a great band from Northern Ireland. Um, mm-hmm. so there there are venues are open up again, and and yeah. band, bands are touring. So uh, get out and see your favorite bands. 
Indeed. Whether you're here or in the US or wherever, there's someone to go and see. Exactly. And support the up-and-coming bands um, because they won't charge you 200 quid or $200 to go and see them. Um, so that was gigs. Um, we'll talk about teleprompters, pros and cons next time. Okay. Um, if you like, because we're running out of time now. Um, I just want to mention that, um, as I said, we're recording this on the 21st of September. And um, tomorrow is the 70th birthday of Mr. David Coverdale. Um, and we wish him well to coin one of his songs. Um, so uh, happy birthday, DC. I'm sure he'll be celebrating style in his Lake Tahoe home. Quite a tongue twister, there, isn't darling. It? Lake is Lake Tartan. Is Lake Tahoe home? Uh, probably drinking some mineral water, darling. Darling, pass me a glass of mineral water, will you, darling? Um, but yes, happy birthday, DC. Mm-hmm. Have a great one. Um, which brings us on to Brian HGT hashtag HGT. I did check it out. It's not um it's not a terrorist uh, movement or um or any thing or medical thing or anything like that, HGT. <laughs> so we're okay with hasn't really caught on though. Hashtag HGT. Uh, but it stands for, of course, hidden gem time. So um what have you got for us this time, young Brian? I have two. Oh, do you? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I've only got one. No, oh, it's okay. all, oh, no, it's all, but, but I'll do it quickly. I'll do, right, very no, no, quickly. No, 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 that's okay. It's okay. Um, I, I, I only have, oh yeah, let's get to it. Um, one's an album, one's a single. <clears throat> um, the album I want to recommend um, from probably one of the best gigs that I went to in 1989. Uh, I mentioned them earlier, Big Country. And the support band for Big Country was a band called Diesel Park West. And Be- mm-hmm. Diesel Diesel Park West, um, their debut album was called Shakespeare, Alabama. It is one of the best debut albums and forgotten hidden gems in English, popular, rock, melodic, whatever you want to call it. They're a fantastic band. Very birds... Um, uh, Tom Petty, great songwritings, etc. Fantastic band. So Diesel Part West, um, Shakespeare, Alabama, I'll put a couple of tracks. And the one album, I, I couldn't pick an album, um, Matt, but I have to pick out this single. 1989 got me thinking about great bands that came along and I maybe liked the song. And I got this, do you remember when, I don't know if you bought Metal Hammer. Did you buy Metal Hammer yeah. or Raw? Or did you just buy Kerrang? I was more of a Kerrang person. Yeah. Well, I just bought them. I, I just bought whatever I could. You know, I bought Metal Hammer, Kerrang, Raw. And I remember Raw used to have a... Do you remember you would get like um a flexi clear plastic single? Yep. yep. And this single came out and it was on the plexiglass and it was, it was a band called XYZ. XYZ were produced by Don Dawkin in 1989. And there's a track on it called Nice Day to Die. And it is absolutely killer, killer track. It's a hidden gem track. Okay. Have a listen to it. It it sounds Dawkin-ish, but I remembered it. And I thought, I'm going to give it a shout out tonight as a hidden gem. Very good. Very good. 
There's my hidden gems. What about you, mate? I look forward to it. So, um, mine's, a, mine's a documentary, actually. Um, it's quite recent. Very, very recent. I only watched it the other night. And um, have a look around for it. Um, certainly in Britain, you'll be able to see it because um, it's still available. Is It's called When Nirvana Came to Britain. Now, this charts the period from 1989 to 1994 and really kind of mirrors the 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 growth of nirvana over that period uh-huh. and it and essentially they paid quite a few visits to the uk culminating with a headlining performance at um reading in reading festival in 1992 where they headlined and it goes back to uh, 1989 strange enough their first visit to the uk when they were out on a three band bill they're playing college circuit staying in uh, transit vans and uh, driving around in transit vans and so on and so forth is fascinating and Dave Grohl's in it Chris Novoselic's in it loads of people that were kind of part of their journey the um, the owner of the hotel that they stayed in in London when mm-hmm. they came uh, members of the band that they um, they played with um, in, in Britain on that sort of first or second tour. It's great stuff. It's only an hour long. And it made me think of you, actually, because they during that period, um, and when they become, certainly after Never, Never Mind have been um, released, um, they played a kind of impromptu gig in, um, in a pub in Edinburgh called The Southern. All right, is, okay. Which used to be a, a rock bar. I think it's a bit more uh, upmarket now. Um, but they've got pictures on the wall. And ne- next time I come and see you in, uh-huh. in Edinburgh, we should go to the Southern because there's there's probably, well, there is pictures of Dave Grohl and Kurt Cobain playing in the in the corner of the of the pub, a little kind of impromptu gig um, that plenty of people had got wind of that it was going to happen. And they essentially were the headliner. And um, the... Uh, the, uh, uh, the the opening act, you know, the band ones that were scheduled to play there, were quaking in their boots essentially because <laughs> there's like 200 people crammed into this pub waiting for Nirvana. If they didn't turn up, there would be a riot. Of course, luckily, Messrs. Grohl and Cobain did uh, did end up playing. But yeah, it's a great it's a great documentary. It's really good. It's really really poignant. Very interesting. It does it goes up until the sad. Uh, death of Kirk Cobain in 1994 um, and sort of touches upon the demons that he was having to deal with he, he wasn't he, he just wanted to be a musician he just wanted to play gigs he didn't really want the fame and fortune necessarily certainly not the fame um, and the pressure and so on and so forth and um, it's it's great stuff so uh, check it out when Nirvana came to Britain I will do um, I'm, I'm I, 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 I what what uh, is it on subscription services? Well, it's on BBC iPlayer. Okay. Uh, in in Britain, and uh, you'd probably be able to find it somewhere if you're not in the UK. So um, yeah, when when Nirvana came to Britain, very interesting stuff. And that was it, Brian. Um, episode eight, episode nineteen is a wrap. Indeed. It is indeed, and we move onwards up to upwards to episode twenty next time. We do indeed. Which will be around about our our anniversary, our one year anniversary. Yeah, uh, but before before we uh, oh, okay, I'm not going be- yet. Before we go, we just like to um, um, shout just shout out to those people who've been uh, listening to the show so far. Thank you very much. 
If you like the show, um, please subscribe um, to us on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review. That helps us as well too. Just get the word out for the show. Um, we're on social media, on Facebook. Um, we're on Twitter. Um, what's our hashtag again, Matt? I always get it wrong. Our handle, not our hashtag. Hashtag. Oh, handle. It's, uh, it's at FTAT pod. Okay. Brian. Thank you. Hashtag HGT. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and and as I say, for um, for anybody who's listening for the first time, thank you for dialing in. Um, we always enjoy doing this, and I shall see you soon, young man. Yes, Brian. See you soon. Have a good time and rock on, everybody. For those about to pod, we salute you. Is Amelia Rogers Media Production. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe. We'll see you next time.